In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight, Psalm 93. This psalm has no title or name of an author in the Hebrew text. However, according to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, there is a title. And the title is A Song of Praise of David for the day preceding the Sabbath when the earth was founded. So according to this title, the author of this psalm is David, but since the Hebrew uh, text has no title, so other people believe that the author of this title, of this psalm, is Prophet Moses. Why? Because the last psalm that has a title was Psalm 90. I mean the last psalm before Psalm 93. And the title of Psalm 90 written by Prophet Moses. According to the Jewish tradition, if there is a psalm has a title and the title has a name of author, all the psalms after this psalm that has no title will be written by the same author. That's why in the Jewish tradition they say Psalm 93 is written by Moses. But according to the Septuagint, it is written by David. Psalm 93 was in fact the Psalm of Friday in the service of the temple, the day before Sabbath. And the reason given is that on the sixth day, God finished the work of creation. Then he began to reign over it. Because the first word in the psalm, the Lord reigns. So on the sixth day, he finished the world, and then he reigned over it. That's why it's said, it is for the day preceding the Sabbath, when the earth was founded. This psalm was considered by many old Jewish scholars as a messianic psalm that refers to the kingdom of the Messiah. Also, it is clearly refers to the Lord Jesus Christ who reigned on the cross on Friday, the day preceding the Sabbath. And he was crucified in the sixth hour. That's why we pray, pray this psalm in the sixth hour of the Agbeya. It is the last psalm in the sixth hour of the Agbeya. It is short psalm, five verses only, but powerful declaration of God's might, power, and holiness. So is a permanent king and has always been enthroned as king. All the rage and the unrest of the world are powerless before God. Also, this psalm is considered an introduction 
to the remarkable group of theocratic psalm. Theocratic, theo means God. Cratic, government. So theocratic, the government of God. Or the kingship of God. So these psalms from 95 to 100, we call them theocratic psalms because in these psalms we praise God as a king, as the governor of the world. This psalm 93 and the other theocratic psalms have sometimes been interpreted as prophetic pictures of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he will reign uh, eternally. But some think it is natural to regard these psalms, the Theocratic Psalm, as thanksgiving for some actual events by which God's sovereignty had been visibly declared. For example, after victory or defeating an enemy, like after the exodus from Egypt. So they say the Lord reigns because after this event, God demonstrated his sovereignty. Also, this psalm not only is prayed in the sixth hour of the Agbeya, but also is recited by the priest, the Coptic priest, while he puts on his service vestment and before praying the hours of the Agbeya. Why? Because in the divine liturgy, the priest is the Lord's representative. So he reminds himself that he is the Lord's representative. And since God was dressed or clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed, he has girded himself with strength, he is clothed with majesty. So while the priest actually puts on the tunic, remember the majesty of God, he is clothed with majesty. So me, a servant of Christ, I should serve him in awe and fear. And as I told you, this psalm is the last psalm of the sixth hour of the Agbay. It is a short psalm, five verses. Verse 1 and 2, the majesty of God. Verses 3 and 4, the might of God. Verse 5, the might of His holiness. The might of His holiness. Verse 1, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded Himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. So the psalmist opens with a joyful acclamation. The Lord reigns as if he is celebrating the active kingship of God. His effective and saving action which creates the world and he reigned over the world and also redeems the humanity on the cross and he reigned on the cross. So the Lord is not an unemotional king. 
He is present among his people as Savior, powerful and great in his love. The Lord reigns is the same beginning of Psalm 97 and Psalm 99. Also, the same idea that the Lord reigns found it in many references in the scripture. Like in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 31, Psalm 47, verse 8, Isaiah 52, verse 7. Also, the Lord reigns. It is the song of the glorified church, as we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, when they see the ultimate victory of God, so the church will chant and sing, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns because he was regarded as having for a time laid aside or hidden. The Lord is king all the time. But when he said the Lord reigns means his kingdom is manifested. His kingship is manifested. So as if his uh, sovereignty was hidden. But now at length coming forward and establishing his reign. Also the psalmist may have in his mind some recent manifestation of divine power. Or maybe he is anticipating the final establishment of the reign of the Messiah in a prophetic way. If it's written by Moses, then maybe he recited this psalm after the exodus from Egypt. God is the king not only of Israel. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. So he is not the king only of Israel, but he is the king of the whole world. And accordingly, he will in the due time set up his kingdom over all the nations in the hand of his son Jesus Christ. And we can see after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, first coming, Christianity and the church actually is spread all over the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ was set up as king from everlasting and was promised and prophesied as a king. The Lord came as such in human nature into the world. When he ascended into the heavens, he was declared Lord and Christ and was crowned with glory and honor. Let me explain this. Because many people say, if Jesus Christ is the Son who is begotten before God, from God before the ages, how we say the Father exalted the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean? We need actually the Son as the second hypostasis of the Holy Trinity exists from everlasting to everlasting. He is exalted. He is adorned with glory and honor because he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. But in the fullness of time, the Son became man. So we are speaking about this God-man, Jesus Christ. 
So we can say God the Father exalted the Son, the God man, Jesus Christ. So when we say after his attention, I'm speaking the incarnated Son of God. I'm speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his humanity is not eternal, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm speaking about the incarnated Son of God, how he is exalted, how is he seated in honor and glory in heaven. And as the Lord said, the kingdom of God is in your heart. So he is reigning in our heart. And he continue to govern everything he has created. Because God the Father created everything by his Son. God is adorned with garments fitting his sovereignty. He is clothed with majesty, he is clothed with majesty and strength. The Lord reigns, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed, he has girded himself with strength. Uh, so he is in everywhere qualified to govern all things because he is clothed with majesty and strength. The kings are clothed with royal garments and the Lord is clothed with majesty. Majesty corresponds to what? To the royal garment. And usually the kings and the warriors are girded with sword and the Lord is girded also with his strength. So he is girded, girded with his strength. So these two things, majesty and strength, uh, he has always in himself and will shortly much more show forth in the eyes of the people. As the kings of the world have the royal garment and girded by sword, so the Lord, his royal garment is his majesty and he is girded by the strength. Dominion is his. He has supreme power to exercise it. The two words, he is clothed, he is girded, are, are military terms. As God is the defender of his people against Satan, our enemy, and the demons, According to what's written in Isaiah 51 verse 9, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. His majesty will never be challenged or defeated by another. He is ro robed, he is clothed in majesty itself. The sun, the clouds, the mountains, the water, all of these were created by him and they reflect his majesty. He is girded with the strength. This term strength speaks of firmness, security, fortification, protection. That's why he is our refuge, the one with mighty power. Because God, the eternal almighty king reigns, that's why the world is established so that it cannot be moved. The ruler, the governor of the world is girded with strength and clothed with majesty. So what we expect about the world? Surely the world is established so that 
it cannot be moved. And the word translated established means to stand upright, to be unchangeable, to set up, to confirm, to maintain, to create, to form. So he has so established the world that nothing can be driven out of order. All is ruled by him. Sun appears in the same time according to the government of God. And the sun disappears at the end of the day according to the government of God. His rule has been from everlasting and his throne has always been established and has always been in a charge. So the emphasis is on his eternal rule. God has existed eternity and therefore his rule exists eternally. That's why in verse 2 he said, your throne is established from of old you are from everlasting. You are from everlasting. So, his kingdom is from everlasting. And God existed eternal, eternally. That's why his rule exists eternally. The father of the church liked to comment on this psalm by applying to our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, a scholar origin says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in beauty. That is, he who formerly trembled in the misery of the flesh, now shines in the majesty of divinity when he ascended in heaven. That the earth should be solidly seated in its hidden foundation this is actually in itself a marvel when we see the earth is established and is not moving. But this wonder that the earth is established is mentioned before mentioning his throne is also established. So the fact that the world is established was mentioned to bring into greater relief the thought of the next verse which is the throne of God to which the earth is his footstool so the throne of God is established and the earth also is established and the earth is the footstool of the throne of God that's why if the throne of God is established the earth should be established his footstool so its foundation firm and everlasting, free from changes or any deviation that affect the earthly empires and the earthly kingdom. So not only the world is established, but the throne of God is established. Though God has thus proclaimed his kingdom once again, it is not a new thing. So when we read your throne is the Lord reigns, he established his kingdom, but we should know that this kingdom is from everlasting. Your throne is established from of old. It is not new. You are from everlasting. 
So his sovereignty and his being are eternal. They know neither beginning nor end. You are from everlasting. So God's eternal authority extends to his very being. He's, he is eternal in a sense none other is. His life is without a beginning and without an ending. In these and in other way, ways, God stands majestically above and beyond his creation. Nothing is eternal except him. Whatever might occur, the throne of God was firm and could not be moved. Here we see some revolution can turn a kingdom. But God, nothing can turn his throne. His throne is established forever. The throne had stood through all the convulsions and changes which had occurred in the universe. It would stand firm forever. St. Augustine reflected on the throne of God beautifully. He said, what is the throne of God? Where does God sit? In his sins, you are the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God in, his, in your heart. Do you wish to be the throne of God? Prepare a place in your heart where he may sit. What is the throne of God except where God dwells? Where does God dwell except in his temple? But what is his temple? Is it surrounded by walls? No, far from it. Maybe somebody would say perhaps this world is his temple because it is very great and a thing worthy to contain God. But how the world will contain God and God is the creator of the world. So the world contains not God by whom it was made. So wherein is God contained? Actually in a quiet soul, in your heart, in the righteous soul. Verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lifted up their waves. The word lifted up three times. And the word floods three times. So verse 3 is intended for us to picture in our mind the power and sounds of flooding waters. That's why the word flood was repeated three times and the word lifted up three times. The floods here which lifted up their voice may refer to the diverse nations stirred up against the Lord. All the nations that opposed God. The floods rising up and threatening to drown the land and sweep everything before them are symbols of the world's great powers threatening to control the world. The voice of the rivers, in other words, the roaring of, of their waters produce a feeling of tremendous force. Like in Hirokin, you can see the voice is scary. And the human being feels small 
before this natural force. See people how they get scared from hurricanes. The psalmist, however, uses it as a way to exalt the power of the Lord, which is greater by far. That's why in verse 4 he said, The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. So this water that can scare people, the Lord on high is mightier, mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. The triple repetition, repetition of the words have lifted up is answered by triple affirmation of the superior might of God. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. What can the waves do again in the kingdom of Christ? He who walked on the waves, we know that Jesus walked on the waves when there was a storm and commanded them to obey him. But many fathers, as I will explain, they differentiate between the rivers and the sea. Rivers are sweet water. So river symbolizes the prophets and the apostles. Sea symbolizes the world. In English, it is the floods. But in Arabic, Rafat al-Anhar, rivers. Rafat al-Anhar, Ya Rab, Rafat al-Anhar, Sautaha. Tarfa al-Anhar, Agigaha. So, in Arabic, not just the flood, but the floods of the river, the rivers. And then in verse 4, then the mighty waves of the sea, the sea here represent the world, because the world is like the sea, waves and uh, salty waters. So origin, scholar origin said, the rivers and water that lifted up their voices represent the authoritative figures of the prophets and the apostles who proclaim the praise and glory of the Lord and announce his judgment for the whole world. So the prophets and the apostles raised up, lifted up their voice to proclaim the sovereignty of God. And when the sea tried to attack them, the Lord on high is mightier than the, the noise of the waters of the sea, than the mighty waves of the sea. So they were defended by God. St. Augustine expands the symbol of the floods even further. For St. Augustine, they are like a swollen rivers in full eruption, the flood. That is filled with the Holy Spirit. So the flood is not just rivers, it's flood. So like they are filled with the Holy Spirit and strengthened. So the apostles are no longer afraid and finally raise their voice. They are not hiding themselves in the upper room. But now, when the Holy Spirit descended upon them, Peter stood and started to preach. 
the resurrection of the Lord. When many voices began to announce Christ, the sea started to get rough. The sea is what? The persecution. Those who are persecuting the church of God. In the decline and flow of the ocean of the world, St. Augustine says, the little ship of the church seems to rock fearfully. So at the end of the world, that is the declining of the ocean of the world at the end of the days, end of times. So there will be a fierce, the great tribulation will be a fierce persecution to the church. So the ship of the church seemed to rock fearfully, threatened by persecution. But we should not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is full of wonder on high. He walked upon the waters of the sea and calmed the waves. St. Jerome also, like St. Augustine and scholar Origen, understood the flood of the apostles and their services, who lifted up their voice like a trumpet, which went into all the world and unto the end of the earth. But God, sovereign in all things, almighty and invincible, is always close to his people, to whom he reveals his teaching. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many water, as fearsome and powerful as the mighty waves of the sea are, they are not higher or stronger than God. He reigns over all that might challenge or oppose or over the mightiest things of this earth. So the power of the church's enemies are but a noisy of many waters, noise of many waters, just sound. No substance in it. Like Pharaoh, king of Egypt, just a noise, as we read in Jeremiah 46, 17. God is mightier than this noise. He is mighty to preserve his people's interest from being ruined by these many waters of the sea and his people's spirits from being terrified by their noise. The world is not out of God's control. So the world is out of our control, and the world seems out of control, but God is powerful and majestic. He remains in control. Last verse, verse 5. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Testimonies reference to the word of God. His law stand firm and are trustworthy and completely reliable. That's why it says your testimony are very sure, are very sure. God's word given through the revelation of the Holy Spirit is like a foundation on which we can build our life. This foundation is very sure, is stable and true. God's word is the unchanging foundation to learn and obey. The psalmist understood that the might, the sovereignty and the strength of God was powerfully expressed in and through his word. So the word of God is mighty. The word of God is powerful because it is inspired by God 
who is mighty, sovereign, and strong. Testimonies is used more than 20 times in Psalm 119 in reference to the word of God. Testimonies embrace all that God has spoken, whether his law, his promises, his command, his prophecies, his statement of what has occurred or what will occur. The mighty God is holy, different from anyone. He is the holiness itself. His power also is a holy power. His sovereignty is holy sovereignty. He is holy. So holiness is connected to all God is and does. That's why holiness adorns his very house. Holiness adorn your house, O Lord, forever. So this is true because this is true both for the representation of his house on earth, which is the church, and his ultimate house in heaven, the heaven of heaven. Also, holiness adorn your house can be exhortation to us to display holiness as his inheritance. His house, actually, to display holiness as his inheritance, his house, this idea mentioned also in the New Testament. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So we are the temple of God. And since the temple of God is holy, I should keep my body holy. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then he concludes by saying, O Lord forever, God's great being and character, his might, sovereignty, strength, holiness, are his eternity. He is from everlasting and unchanging. He is forever. God's nature is holy. All his works are holy. And his word is holy. Therefore, his, his house, the church, should be holy. That's why the building itself should be sanctified. So we consecrate the church. We consecrate the church to be a place of worship only. Also, the minister's of this church, clergy and deacons, should be holy. The members in the body of Christ should be holy. This end, actually, this short psalm. It is a prayer that instills confidence and hope in the believers who often feel restless, afraid of being overwhelmed by the storms of the life events and struck by the threatening dark forces. But when we know God is in control, God is mighty, God reigns, then give us actually hope and peace. Let me conclude by two quotes, one from St. Augustine and the, the other from St. Gregory. St. Augustine says, He, God, says, 
I have overcome the world. Cling unto him who overcame the world, who overcame the sea. Rejoice in him, because the Lord who dwells on high is mightier, and your testimony are very surely believed. And what is the end of all this? Holiness becomes your house. O Lord, your house, the whole of your house, not here and, and there, but the whole of your house throughout the whole world. Why throughout the whole of the world? Because he has established it so that it cannot be moved. The Lord's house will be strong. It will prevail throughout the whole world. Many shall fall, but that house stands. Many shall be disrupted, disturbed, but that house shall not be moved. Holiness becomes your house, O Lord, for a short time only, no, unto length of days. So St. Augustine is saying, if God overcame the world, cling to him in order to be victorious. God is mightier, and his testimony are very surely believed. And then holiness will adorn you. Holiness will adorn the house of God. And the house of God will stand against all the tribulation and the hardship. And he ended the quote by saying, is it going to stand for a short time? No, unto the length of days. St. Gregory of Nazianzus says, we do so through one of his beautiful poems in which praise to God, sovereign and creator, acquires a Trinitarian dimension. You, Father, have created the universe, giving everything its rightful place and preserving it through your providence. Your word is God the Son. Indeed, he is consubstantial with the Father, equal to him in honor. He has harmoniously tuned the universe to reign over all things. And in embracing them all, the Holy Spirit God safeguards and cares for all things. So he's saying in this psalm we can see the Trinity. We can see the Father, the creator of all things. And with his Son who reigned on the cross actually and actually redeemed everything. He reigned over everything. Every power will be subjected to his uh, under his feet. And we see the Holy Spirit who actually safeguards and cares for all things. So, St. Gregory continues and says, I will proclaim you the living trinity, the one and only monarch. Monarch means one head, arc, like origin. So, it's one source. A steadfast strength that sustains the heaven, a gaze inaccessible to our sight, but which contemplates the whole universe and penetrates every secret depth of the earth or to its abyss. So he's saying the Holy Trinity actually sustain and support everything, 
even things that we cannot see it by our sight. But actually, it penetrates every secret depth of the earth, even to the abyss. O oh Father, be good to me. May I find mercy and grace, because glory and grace are to you to the age without end. This concludes Psalm 93. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.